Endlessly searching the World Series of Options parking lot for the ship. It was indeed a large lot, and the ship was nowhere to be found. Searching took a long time. After finally finding the ship and leaving the World Series of Options parking lot, a mysterious signal came over the cross-chain amplification decoder, encoder, recoder, onboarder system. Every time I try to get a little shut-eye, some shit starts beeping. Lootbot, what is beeping now? It appears to be a cloaked signal. Its origin is the secret DAO cluster in the Jackal system. The Jackal system? That sounds familiar. Oh yeah, we used to offload a lot of like, dark market kind of shit there back in the day. This is, this is perfect, perfect timing. We should probably offload some of this sensitive data into a, a more private and secure place. Lootbot, take us in. And for the love of Luna, don't crash the ship this time, please. No promises. Intake engage. Well, that's a new sound. You're not gonna crash again, right? I gotta really hand it to you, Lootbot. That was probably the smoothest landing yet. Nice work. Thanks. Alright, you watch the ship. I'm gonna go see if I can explore a little bit, find where that signal's coming from. Maybe offload some of this private data. Alright, look at this place. This is nice. Everything looks very secretive and, and cloaked and stealthy. Let's see if we can find some locals and we'll see what, what, this, what the story is here. Oh, there's a couple locals right there. How do I know they're locals? Well, they also look stealthy, much like the scenery here. Excuse me, excuse me. How, how are you guys doing? Hey, how are you doing? Not too bad, not too bad. Just uh, picked up this crazy signal. Figured we'd come down, take a look. It looked like a spot we could possibly offload some, uh, you know, private data. You guys wouldn't happen to know anything about that, would you? We happen to, uh... Just so you know, we're the Jackal Storage. And uh, what Jackal Storage is, is essentially uh, we created a peer-to-peer caching layer between Filecoin and Secret Network. That's how we provide storage to a lot of people. Oh, perfect. So is this almost like a replacement to the IPFS system like you see a lot for NFTs that people are using? Or is this something different? You can talk uh, to that about about that, Marston, a little bit. Yeah, so we're actually using a little bit of IPFS sprinkled into our protocol to provide a really fast system uh, of caching those files on our nodes. 
So we actually have a bunch of nodes all connected to each other, forming like a subcluster of their own IPFS network. And then they interact with each other. They pin everyone's node, uh, files to each other so that at any given moment, all of those nodes will have a really fast path to access your files. Oh, that sounds super nice. That's kind of uh, what we're looking for. We've got a lot of files. <laughs> I know. It's, uh, the, the competitive advantages of Jackal, essentially, is we're, we're able to provide really, really fast storage using the Amazon S3 standard but uh, at an 80% cheaper price point compared to legacy systems, essentially, such as Amazon S3, Google Cloud, Microsoft Azure, uh, Alibaba Cloud, for example. Well, that's cool. How, how is that a, just using, using blockchain tech? How are you guys doing that? Yeah, so with, with the recent IBC, essentially what we're able to do is on, on one side, we have the secret network is where we, we integrate with the Kepler wallet, and that's kind of how everyone's able to sign their transactions and have their private keys. And then on the other side, uh, we have Filecoin, which acts as a cold storage layer. And in between that, for developers to build applications and to have really fast uh, access to your storage, we build an incentive layer, which is a peer-to-peer layer of nodes. And and how that helps is it, it creates it really fast. And it's also, since it's an incentive layer, it has a little bit of competition, so the network will get faster over time as it continues to scale. And that works between any other IBC ecosystem? So right now, um, it it uses the the Kepler wallet. So theoretically, we can take anything as payment that's in the IBC. And our biggest focus is is the the tariff ecosystem for payments although we're going to be accepting in secret we're going to be accepting in as many different tokens from as many different ecosystems as possible because integration is key in this space but what we're focusing on uh, right now is is trying to get that integration with terra and ust as as a payment model and uh, the reasoning for that is because we like to think that terra has uh, essentially the, the best DeFi when it comes to real world applications such as uh, payments. When you look at Anchor Protocol, you look at Pylon Protocol, you look at Mirror Protocol, um, and and we just want to integrate with that space as well. So it's really really important to us. That's really cool to hear. We do most of our uh, jet setting here in in the Terra Galaxy, and and having that UST and being able to get it onto these other ecosystems is super key. And I I know a lot of people like to be maxis when it comes to their blockchain and stuff. Personally, I'm just like a maxi about phones. Like I'm an Android guy personally. So like I don't mess with Apple stuff, but when it comes to blockchains, like I'm all about as many uh, that we can get UST on as possible. Cause that's good for the whole ecosystem and for the ecosystems that start using UST, they need a stable. And I mean, we have it here. Yeah, and, and the really cool thing about the, the IBC is is we can integrate with essentially anyone that's in the Cosmos ecosystem. And uh, that's great for us, and we think that's great for everyone else as well. Um, when, it, when it comes to kind of what we're building, though, it, it's, a, it's a place for end users to store their files, but it's also a place for enterprises to store their files, and it's a place um, for builders to build on. So... Just a little bit, uh, let's backtrack a little bit to kind of talk about what, how we got to this point, essentially. So Marcin and I, just our backgrounds, 
we're, we work in digital investigations, blockchain investigations, and digital forensics for law firms, corporations, and private citizens. So we were building a product called Keepsake. And what Keepsake it was is a uh, kind of like a, um, the word's obviously going to slip my mind right now. Uh, it's an e-discovery tool. And uh, what I mean by that, it's a place to capture, preserve, and manage digital evidence before they go to court. Um, we found a fundamental flaw when we were building this product, and we wanted it to be decentralized so that the files could always be protected. And that's a really important part when you have evidence that you're managing on other people's behalf. And um, what we realized is that we kind of had to backtrack a little bit and create an infrastructure layer. And um, the reasoning for, for that is that all the current storage providers um, in the space right now are, are extremely centralized. And if when, when I talk about centralization, it, it's not as much about implementing decentralized parts of, of the product, but from the ground up, a completely decentralized storage system. Um, that also goes for a, a lot of projects that claim to be decentralized, um, but essentially what they are is they're, they're using Amazon kind of as a front end and they provide it through Cloudflare, for example. You, if you, you want to talk you, about that, you, I think that's a good thing. You see that a lot when uh, Amazon has issues and then all of a sudden like eight out of your 10 favorite apps stop working. And it's like, holy shit, you really, it, it hits home like how much of this stuff is not at all decentralized. And I know there's there's not an expectation of it to be, but it seems like we've gotten to a point where, so much of the internet we use day to day is on one server farm or, or one company's server farm, I should say. Oh, a hundred percent. Like there, there's so many apps that are out there right now and they claim to be decentralized, but under the hood, all they're really doing is saying we're storing our files on something like IPFS, which in itself isn't fully decentralized, the files need to be pinned somewhere. And that starts with a centralized server. Um, something like Filecoin, that's super cool. But in order to access your Filecoin network, you need a central node to do so. And a lot of these products, they're, they're having like an Amazon or Google Cloud server running that's an interface between a smart contract and Filecoin. But at the end of the day, there's still that middleman. And that is really the problem that Jackal's trying to solve. Yeah, because once if that goes down, like if your interface is gone, there's no <laughs> there's no interfacing with that data. Like you have to wait until they go kick the server and, and reboot it. Oh, 100 percent. And as I say, that's just something that Jackal is really trying to s stop using a peer to peer network. That middleman is a bunch of people. It's not just Amazon. It's not just Google. It's anyone and everyone that wants to be part of Jackal is the middleman now. So the entire node system would have to go down in order for your data to be lost, which through incentives we're preventing. What was the what it was just you guys working in your day job and finding this or was there more to it that that made you want to create Jackal Dow? Like it looks like you kind of you, you did the the fix to, to kind of get your your jobs rolling again. But then you took that a step further to create a Dow about it. I'd like to hear about that. Yeah. So the, the thing is what we were creating was uh, essentially the e-discovery tool, as I was saying earlier. but once we kind of realized, um, well, th this is us being the investigators we are in, in our day jobs. Um, 
we started to look into a lot of other decentralized quote unquote platforms and and we started to realize there's a fundamental flaw between all of these and if um if we want to go into this end game possibly where this the whole blockchain space and decentralization can can end in a bunch of different ways but one of those would be going head to head with the legacy systems and if it comes to a point where um, Amazon or Google or Microsoft or the, the three of them together, which essentially run a monopoly right now, if you look at how much it costs to store one terabyte of data in in the cloud, it, it's essentially same across all platforms. It's around twenty-two dollars um, a month per terabyte to twenty-five dollars a month per terabyte. Um, what what we kind of realize is that they they can all shut off whatever the, they choose, and not only are they shutting off whatever they choose is is your data is accessible by anyone. Um, what I say is accessible by anyone is either through a court order or uh, another example would be is they, they package up and they sell data. Um, I, I've heard a bunch of different stuff that's occurred. A Google user is worth about $3,000 a year worth of data um, in this underlying data buying and selling market. Um, and what we were looking to create is, is a way to build from the ground up and actually have a system where an infrastructure essentially where the end user owns their own data. And we think it's really, really important for yeah. a number of different reasons. Obviously, one for things like digital evidence, but also for things like if we start getting into uh, put the tinfoil hats on and go a little bit down the road where we're starting to create brain interfaces, things like this, do you really want all your data to be hosted in the cloud by a third party company or do you trust yourself with that data? Yeah, that's huge. Like forward looking. That always gives me like the creeps a little bit, just knowing like I, I'm not like security background, but I've been working with computers since there were computers. So like I, I know a thing or two and it makes me so uncomfortable just thinking that like eventually we're going to have these interfaces like what Elon Musk is trying to create and, and other uh, brain machine interfaces. And like that's all hardware. And then there's software and software is made by humans and humans are full of errors, you know, some less than others, obviously, but man, that when you start, like, it's, it's, it's one thing to rely on this tech to like be able to send your family a message or, or something like that, or, or post some food that you're eating on, on Twitter or whatever. But it's a whole nother thing when you're talking about, this is interfacing with your brain, your brain creates the reality that you interact with, uh, you know, it like that, that has so many, points of of intrusion to to really mess things up and like you have to have that perfect basically any exploits and like that's you're having strokes and seizures and i mean we don't even know what else absolutely but it's, it's not only just in the event we do get it perfect it's it's okay so now where do i store my thoughts <laughs> right <laughs> yeah exactly right? exactly so, so things like that if um a good really good uh, resource that i like to use uh, when i um when we do privacy audits for, for our clients in our previous day job, um, there's, there's a place called the center for humane tech.com. And that's the center for humane, Te humane technology. And they have some research page uh, pages in there relating to, they call it the ledger of harms. And um, it kind of shows how we have this fundamentally broken system from the ground up where um, under our noses, our data is being collected and sold for profit, but not only that, but they're also running algorithms and analytics on on how you interact with your user interface and what they're able to do with that is they can 
not only for marketing, but it's also uh, if you want to talk about further divides or how it affects the next generations where uh, like there's really sad stats such as children are three times more likely to commit suicide uh, when they're cyber bullied online. Things like, like, like this where j- just fundamentally, if we had the ability to, from, from the ground up, to actually own your own data and have these privacy functions and choose who you share your data with and all these different things, rather than creating an echo chamber for everyone to kind of bounce ideas off of, we're just starting to create that fundamental layer um, for other applications to be built on that are um, just humane from the ground up, but also have that level of privacy and cybersecurity so that your data is not bought and sold or um, you're, you're not vulnerable to cyber attacks or breach data credentials and people taking loans out in your name in the same way that we get approached for cyber attacks. For real, the damn car warranty people calling up. Exactly. <laughs> oh man, is that what uh, initially attracted you to the secret network as opposed to developing on a, a different ecosystem? Yeah, Marcy can talk to that a, a lot, but it's essentially just relating to this programmable privacy. Yeah, like we we initially started um, our keepsake system over on the Polygon network, which has its whole list of reasons why we stopped using it. But the main one was everything's public, right? And that's just that was the state of blockchains in the mainstream when we started working on it. And then we found secret and everything kind of changed. We weren't all of your files on our old system were stored as public NFTs. And I had to play a balancing game of what I could store on chain and what I couldn't. Because if I stored, I don't know, something like the file name on chain, well, now anybody can make a profile of you based on the files you're using, which just circles back to the whole data collection thing, which, again, is not something that we want. And so when we saw the secret network using hardware security, like hardware encryption on their nodes, that was fantastic. We knew that any data we store on chain is ours. It is whoever put the data there. They are the only ones to access it. And we've designed our whole smart contract around that principle of if you do not have your viewing key, you cannot get any information about you, like your account on our system. And uh, with that, we've just created this perfect programmable privacy where you can share your files if you want, but if you don't want to, not even I can see them as the, the developer. Yeah, the, the yeah. seepage in the creep is is very low as opposed to having like like something like an email. I know people like to think that, oh, their email is secure and stuff. But I've always kind of been of the, the mindset that email is basically like writing a postcard, you know, like anybody from you to where it's going can just take a peek at it, you know, and, and people don't really grasp that. And it's super interesting to see that the blockchain started out as a public ledger. Like it was meant to be public. It's kind of how the internet started out and like security wasn't a thing they were thinking of. They just wanted it to work. Like they're just trying to send some packets, you know, and now like we've lumped all of these different layers on top of this old foundation of, of like something not secure, just trying to make it as secure as we can. And it, it kind of seems like we're replicating that evolution over on the blockchain now where it started as totally open and public and now we're trying to find ways of of you know making that more private and and really actually securing your data well 
it's it's not as much about it's not as much about um, forcing individuals into a, a chamber where it's either public or private. It, what Jackal's about is, is is choice, and we think that's something that we don't get in the old legacy systems at all, where we don't have the choice whether to ensure that all my data is private, or we don't really have you're kind of forced into a situation where it's it's mined and it's sold, right? So, what Jackal's about is it's about that choice and it's about if you want to share your data share your data using your viewing keys if you want to collaborate on files collaborate on files if you want to have um send them around if you want to host a website and make it public make it public but the the thing is is in, in the current legacy systems we don't have that layer of choice where your data is not sold for by a third-party company and that's just the the basic fact of the matter um if we take a lot of things for granted, I live in Canada. Some in Canada as well. Uh, some listeners probably listen to the United States, but there's also this other layer where government specific to other countries, it, it's the way their government governments interact with their citizens are a little bit different. And there's things from psychological operations to um, censorship of, of freedom of speech and censorship of um, protesting. You look at you want to look at Hong Kong. You want to look at um, uh, there, there's all kinds of situations going on in the world specific to that, and um, people don't have the ability to take their own data into their own hands and organize online because a lot of the social networks right now are essentially used against them as well. Yeah, you saw a lot of that organizing happening on Facebook and Twitter. And then the next article is like, well, Twitter shut down in this country. And then it's like, all right, well, now now how are we going to do this? Absolutely. But it's it's um, us coming from the, the intelligence um, private sector. You you see things like so, social media is, is weaponized for politics and elections as well. Right. Propaganda. Uh, distorted dialogues, uh, disrupted democratic processes, all these kind of things. And we have peer-reviewed studies to back it up as well. I feel, it's, yeah, and anyone that's read Behold a Pale Horse is familiar with all of these. <laughs> absolutely. And there's there's all kinds of good places to start. Social Dilemma on Netflix as well. It's a, or Your Undivided Attention. It's another good film and yeah. podcast. Um, it, it's it's the, the current state... Of, of the the internet is is not the most ideal and, and we think it's it's time for a hard reset where the parameters that we build from the ground up are focused around privacy and ethics and transparency and that's not essentially transparency on the end of our users because we think privacy is a fundamental human right but private uh, transparency on our end where our code's open source and and things along those lines all super important when you're trying to create something like this i mean the more eyes you can have on it just like that's why i've always chose to use signal versus the other uh signal or other messaging programs that say they're secure is that moxie and his team first of all like they're amazing and and then they have the open source code so like there's tons of people hammering away on this and when they find something like it's reported and they fix it you can't really say the same for other apps that are not open source because you you don't know what's in there and when somebody does find something they're not going to report it to them you know they're going to go sell it on the on the market well the the other thing is is that 
the a lot of the other systems the the end user is the product yeah exactly. <laughs> selling right so it's just a fundamental business model where we have um, data harvesting is one thing and, and farming and collecting that's google's model but on the flip side there's also um everyone if the product is free usually you're the product <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy too how short of a time span it took to get people conditioned into being okay with that. You know, like it wasn't a thing and then a few people were like, "Oh yeah, these free services are great." And then another side of that was saying, "Well, yeah, but there's a reason it's free." And now all of a sudden we 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 just click accept and and go on with our day because it's so it's become a part of our day-to-day lives somehow. Absolutely. And um, there, there's other things on on, uh, on that as well. And uh, this is something that we played around with. with it. it's, it's a specific idea. Um, initially, we're probably going to have to start with a cash model because it's easiest for us to get our MVP out. But um, something that we've been playing with is is the idea of making the product free in a way. And when I say made it, make it free in a way, I'm, I'm really referring to the pylon protocol where we can play with this idea of payments via yield to where you can deposit based capital if you want to store files or you want to access the Jackal system. And um, if you don't want to pay anymore, you just take your money back and we earn revenue based off of the yield that's generated from that through Anchor. That's such a great way to do it. That's basically what we're doing here with uh, what we're doing. Like we, we get support and, and donations from projects in the community and it all goes into Anchor. And then as bills come up, UST gets withdrawn, bills get paid, life goes on. Yeah, and it's, it's, a, it's a great model. And um, that's, the, that's the fun that we're able to have in the Web3 space because economics can run wild here and there's no centralized rules or we can really play with all kinds of different things. And that's why um, we're really focusing on our tokenomics right now. Um, we're still pre-MVP. We have a uh, an alpha, an incentivized testing alpha coming out February 14th. Um, we might be able to get it out earlier, but uh, don't take my word for that. And um, then once we, we're going to have until early March, and then once that closes, um, we're going to push to mainnet beta. I saw something about experiencing a euphoric sensation of digital privacy come across my scanner, and that's that's kind of what drew me in. I, I need euphoric <laughs> sensations of privacy i think that was worded so beautifully yeah uh, we we have a really uh our marketing team's great uh we we have we have a team of about seven individuals right now uh, wills will runs our marketing and uh, we, we have another individual on staff he's he's a non uh, we call him nugget but uh, he's also nice. a really funny guy and we, we have a meme factory and the leadership channel <laughs> Tell me about you guys. Did you, you, you came from, uh, some sort of intelligence background. Like what, what got you guys into that to begin with? Like, was it just a school thing or? Yeah. So, um, my, my father started a, a company called inquisitive Intel and what inquisitive Intel is, is a, uh, it's essentially a, a digital investigations, digital forensics interviews and, and stuff to support law firms and corporations. So how I got involved um, was about three and a half years ago. I was coming out of my fourth year at university. And um, there were, back then, there, it was a traditional PI firm. It's just private investigators. And uh, 
asked me this question like hey do you know anything about facebook and i was like yes dad i know i know things about facebook <laughs> and then it, it it turned into a uh, i quickly turned into a full-time job as uh, covid started to really accelerate our digital transformation and um what we got into really recently and this is kind of how i got entered into the blockchain sphere was um cryptocurrency recovery operations where um, individuals would lose millions, sometimes millions of dollars or brokerages would lose millions of dollars and they need someone to do forensics and investigations to recover that cryptocurrency. Um, last year in, in 2021, we were able to recover about $100 million with a cryptocurrency. Yeah. Wow. You yeah. guys were like the I forgot my password button that DeFi does not have. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it, it's, it's not a... It's a really extensive process, and this is kind of more for um, kind of if you see it on rec news, it's just probably come our way. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's where we got into it. And then uh, Marston was, was hired on as well. And then Marston has a little bit more of a uh, computer programming background. And if you want to talk about that, Marston, go for that. Yeah. So I, I come from a computer science background. I'm in university doing computer science. And uh, so I saw a job posting for the Inquisitive Intel and I said, hey, that that sounds pretty cool. I don't even know what like open source intelligence really means. (laughs) But um, I applied and, you know, things went from there. And then so I got really into the space of investigations and cryptocurrency forensics and everything. And uh, I think my first case, I was working on uh, recovering Bitcoin, which was, uh, or no, it wasn't recovering Bitcoin. That was uh, like my third case or something. And it was, uh, it, it really opened my eyes to the world of decentralized finance and like how kind of freaky it can be if you're in with the wrong places. And then so with that, we were like, hey, what if we use all of this like code is law stuff and put it together? Cause you know, I'm a programmer, I know the code now. And so we can kind of put something together to make our investigations a little bit easier. And then that led us to keepsake, which led us to Jackal cause there just wasn't any infrastructure. And so we've been in the blockchain space, just kind of building away behind the scenes for a while now, but we're, you know, starting to, come out and be public with it. And uh, I think there's a lot of people really interested in the privacy the way we were when we started. Another thing to that is, is oh no, you, you nailed it on the head, but it was just the, <laughs> us being investigators and oh, everyone says decentralize this, decentralize that. We're just like, oh, really? Like they're, they're decentralized. Let's figure out how they store their <laughs> files. And then we, then we run Maltigo, which is in kind of like a digital forensic software to fingerprint networks and we just oh no that's just amazon or oh there's just google over there so we're like okay i think we're gonna have to build the infrastructure from the ground up that's so cool that's i'm curious when when you say recovering like are this isn't just like brute forcing and throwing dictionary texts at at some algorithm trying to guess their seed phrases like how are you guys like going about Uh, that as much as you can say obviously yeah, no, I we had to be really, really tight-lipped because we're obviously under solicitor client privilege uh, for sure. the law firms and things like that. But um, how we do it is, is we 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 have to find vulnerabilities. There's in the process, and when we talk about decentralization, 
um, cyber criminals know that is, <laughs> the current system is not very decentralized in the sense that the place where we catch them is the on and off ramps of fiat currency because eventually they're going to have to turn it into fiat. Right. And th- that's kind of where we were able to catch them um, is, is the KYC brokerages. The other place that we would kind of catch them in the middle if we can, and um, that would be through open source intelligence, where it's uh, poor operational security, essentially on the end of the fraudster, let's call them that. Um, so that's kind of how we would do that. But um, what we're trying to build here is, is just a, a permissionless system. And, and we think that's really important to the future of online. And with that, that comes with using your wallet to sign files and multi-signal. We can ensure that data breaches don't happen. So you're protected. And data breaches is what we index to find a lot of these fraudsters, as I said earlier. I would imagine there's a lot of new users learning about the importance of how, I guess, traditional DeFi wants to work, where I guess if you use Coinbase and, and Kraken and other, other exchanges like that, for the most part, you can get your password if you forget it. But once you take it more into your own hands and get off of these centralized exchanges... Like there's no, I mean, in a way that I am familiar with, like there's no way to get that back and, until what, I guess quantum computing becomes more of a thing. Uh, I don't know how else you would go about being able to like recover somebody's keys like that. Unless, like you said, you're, you're finding the, the vulnerabilities in the, the different platforms they're using. Cause I don't think there's the vulnerabilities, at least none that I'm aware of in in the actual blockchain tech itself, like all of these exploits and stuff are in things like, like Instagram and Facebook and, and the other apps that people interact with, I would imagine. Yeah. Well, it, just so I got the question straight, you're just talking essentially about recovering seed phrases when you lose them. Is that the question? Yeah. Yeah. Just because we're get, we get so many like new people getting onboarded and they are so used to just being able to hit that password recovery button. And, and in DeFi, you know, there isn't. Yeah, that, that's a that's also just a fundamental understanding um, issue, right? And that's kind of what the the fraudsters and and everyone kind of preys on is these new users coming on and they don't really understand the space yet, and they're really vulnerable to these really low hanging fruit attacks where they DM you something or along those lines and tell me your seed phrase, it'll steal your money, or they just lose the seed phrase themselves. But as time goes on, it, it will start to. I think we're going to start to get to a place where. Um, there will be other services such as I, I wouldn't recommend this, but corporations that manage a seed phrase, or uh, you can have a master seed phrase and you can store all your seed phrase in a product like Jackal theoretically, and you keep your master seed phrase at a bank and you use a hardware wallet to sign it. Um, things along those lines where you can just have that good cyber hygiene is, is what I would like to say when we're working with um doing privacy audits and that kind of thing and another thing like it, it, it's even I, i'm seeing it a lot more with um there's a hardware wallet called like grid plus and uh it's just trying to push that space forward where you have a little it's almost like a credit card where in when you go to make a transaction you put your card in and your card manages your seed phrase for you the card it like has the seed phrase embedded in it and then Theoretically, you could use that card at any Grid Plus machine. I mean, I wouldn't recommend that because, you know, you're giving your seed phrase to whatever that machine is. But at the end of the day, like it's 
they're really making strides to make the onboarding process a lot easier where you're not, you don't even see your seed phrase because it's on your card. And it's and, stuff like that that'll be, I think, pushing forwards the space a lot. And then I think at that point, it will basically feel like regular finance. The, the other thing just on, on, to add on that point is, is the, the fact that fundamentally the infrastructure using seed phrases compared to username and passwords is so much better. Oh, yeah. Just the, the idea that you can have a full G suite by just having a, a Kepler wallet where you can just go to whatever app you want and you can build and you can just log in that way. The, the other thing that, that is, is really fundamentally wrong with this password and, and username situation is that if you're like most people, you recycle your password. <laughs> or you have the same password for everything and, and you, you have your special word. And for example, for argument's sake, let's say um, mine's Ottawa. That's, that's the city that I live in. And uh, then you log into a new account and it says, oh, you need a special character. So everyone just adds an exclamation mark on the end or something <laughs> like that. So it, it's, you use these, these password uh, usernames and, and passwords, but there's a fundamental flaw with that when it comes to the amount of breach credentials where companies get hacked. So if I go to a gym and I, uh, I use a username and password to sign out into the portal there and the gym gets hacked and that information gets leaked online, um, these cyber criminals will, will harvest all that data and they'll use the same techniques we use to look into specific individuals by using those data points as pivot points and they try to learn more about you and they will continue to do that until they have enough information to take it alone or access your bank account or um sim swap you and get your crypto so the 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 current system is really flawed and it's really dangerous the way that we we use it and you're trusting these third-party companies that um argue about cybersecurity budgets essentially yeah that's that's that blows my mind <laughs> yeah, i mean it, yeah, and, it's building that on top of a system like we mentioned like that it wasn't built to be secure nobody was doing banking on the internet you know but now like that's where all of this stuff is happening and i unfortunately the underlying tech never really got hardened i don't think well it, it's it, it's a fluid landscape which we call the, the digital world right and just because something was secure yesterday doesn't mean they'll be secure tomorrow right unless you have something like the seed phrase technology and i i think it, it's one of the most secure ways to go about your life and, and we think by building jackal we can start having new applications such as social media such as emails such as other things built on top of our infrastructure and you can use your seed phrase and you can have that level of privacy or for example, if you, instead of us selling your data, how about you sell your own data and you can choose who you sell it to if you want to do that, right? So what Jackal is about is just about choice. And um, I, I think we're on the right path to a much better digital world. Yeah, that's that's epic. I, I love that idea of actually being in control of our own data and being like, if you're going to sell it, pay me. If not, then you can't sell it and you can't sell it because you don't have it because it's all built on this, this secure idea. Like that's huge. Absolutely. Absolutely. But you, you see brave is starting to do that right now with their browser. I don't know if you're a brave user. Yeah. 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 Um, 
the the really cool thing about Brave is, is is that's what they're doing is essentially they're giving you the option to earn off of your attention. And that's what they call their basic attention token. Right. But still under the hood, they're still choosing who to sell it to and they're still choosing kind of where it goes, right? And they're paying you with the cryptocurrency that they minted themselves, right? <laughs> so yeah, like that's a great system, but I think we should take that one step further where everyone owns their own data. And I think that when you start kind of building an ecosystem like that, um, it, it creates a much healthier place. Yeah, absolutely. You're you're not building on sand. You're building on something firm that's that's going to be there for a while. And that's, I guess, my question to you guys. What obsoletes the seed phrase then? Ooh, that's a good question. What do you think, Marcin? Uh, Like... <laughs> Your eyeball scan, <laughs> some biometrics. Like, I, don't think, I don't think there's anything better than just a longer phrase. Like you could theoretically make an Ethereum wallet type thing or like a Cosmos wallet where instead of using the normal encryption methods, they have your seed phrase is like a thousand characters long. And obviously that's stupid because at that point it's just diminishing returns. But right. like, in the future, when computers are better and better and better, I think like something like your human fingerprint as your seed phrase will be inevitable because I think that's the only thing with enough uniqueness and enough data points to really like drive home proper security. So we're either talking seed phrases or DNA at that point. <laughs> yeah, basically. Like right now, the way we have it set up is just like, perfect like um something like your 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 even your credit card right like the way that the encryption works in DeFi is like totally different than what we're used to with your credit card you literally just hand someone all your information and then they charge your credit card well that's dumb because you have to give them your credit card number right and then they have all of the information on your credit card like if amazon wanted to they could drain your credit card tomorrow obviously right, right. but they could Whereas like with crypto, your private key isn't given out. It's just a signature proving that it was you, which is just a totally different way of thinking about how we manage data, manage interactions with each other even. And it's something that, I mean, obviously there's been like crypto guys for years sending emails with like proper encryption keys in it. So they were using public and private keys and all that. But until blockchains, we weren't really able to make it a commonplace thing where you didn't need to, you know, have a bunch of encryption software installed on your computer. You just ran it through a wallet. And now, like, nothing is fingerprinted back to you unless you explicitly want it to be, which is just crazy. And nobody can access those funds without your phrase. And obviously, the longer your phrase, the harder to guess. And so I think the natural progression of that is just the phrase gets longer. And once the phrase becomes unguessable, it is perfectly private. There is nothing that you can do to get the seed phrase other than guessing it, which, you know, we Good can make luck. that. <laughs> and that's well, assuming the technology remains the same. I mean, I, I assume that once quantum computing is a thing, and I don't know when that's going to happen, but that kind of renders a lot of this stuff obsolete once you're able to check all the possibilities at once, you know? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not like super familiar with it, but I think honestly, once quantum computing comes out, we'll find a way to beef up encryption. Well, like quantum right now, entangle we're at, like, it and shit. bits. Well, I right. mean, quantum computing that blows it out of the water, right? It can do that in an instant. But I think we'll end up with like billions of bits or something stupid like that. And I don't think quantum computing will solve that in seconds. Um, I uh, obviously I don't know fully how that works, but we'll figure out something. I mean, the public and private key, I don't think will ever truly go away. Um, I just think what you're making your private key will be the difference. And whether that's like your fingerprint or whatever, I, I think that is just the natural progression of this, the space. The uh, just to backtrack a little bit, and imagine I love that you touched on credit cards. Can we just talk about how crazy of a system that is? The the, the idea that every time you go to a coffee shop, you have to give the the barista a a literal username and password your to bank. all your money, <laughs> and you have to do it through a machine that you've never seen before. Yeah, <laughs> it's absolutely wild to me. And you see that with monsters; they skim cards all the time. There's a if you look at, uh, if you want to, we're, we're on the dark web doing investigations all the time, but these marketplaces are selling, they call them fulls and, and all, all kinds of different things, but they package up personal information of people and they sling them around and uh, it, it costs you 40 bucks for uh, the identity of another person. And they actually, they don't even index them by how much money's in the account. They index them by credit score because they take loans out. Damn. It's really interesting as well. That's, I've been for probably the last at least 10 years every time i go get gas like i jiggle the shit out of that credit card <laughs> thing and i have yet to come across one that's come out but i've read stories and i i listen to security podcasts and social engineering podcasts and stuff and like i'm like when do i get to find the skimmer like i've never yeah, found bring one a heat but, gun with you in case they glue it oh man <laughs> don't we, oh it's cold out here too <laughs> <laughs> But like stuff like that, I feel like normal people don't really like I know way more people now that are into crypto than I did when PGP was like becoming a thing and people were using it. Like I had maybe two friends that knew how to use PGP. Now, like I, I know so many like my mom uses crypto a little bit like it's it's gotten that crazy to where where so many normal people are starting to use this technology. And I, I feel like not very many of them are jiggling the card scanners at the gas station. No well, the other thing is that is the, the different methods the scammer use the scammers use now and we're getting a little bit off topic from the jackal but i guess it's still in the same uh, realm just from the security aspect of, of data security and privacy of all your information um it, it's just it's just crazy to me the the vulnerabilities that are out there right now and uh then if i can I, I guess this this is not the most ideal thing but if i can share my screen a little bit with you um, I guess you can you, you can talk uh, <laughs> to the, the listeners. Um, let me know when you can see. Oh this. yeah, can you see this? Dehashed. Okay. So essentially, what this is is this is one of the the platforms that we use to index uh, where we take a username and we we pivot from it during these investigations. Um, the thing is, is that this has indexed about fourteen billion compromised assets, and we want to wow. talk about security. This is kind of how they they manage all these things. So, is this it's like the the same database? Like when Google Chrome tells you that message that like, "Yo, we found your email address in a breach." Like, is this one okay. of the databases that gets fed from? 
very, very, very similar. Okay. Um, that's exactly where it's, it's fed from, or they have their own team that goes out right, there right. On, on the deep web or dark web and capture and then sort all this information. So if we go here and we, we want to get, let's go, uh, rogers.com uh, .ca. So Rogers is a, is a Canadian kind of, uh, how would you describe them? Is that ISP? They're telecommunications, internet, phone, TV. Yeah, ISPs. Okay. Yeah, so you can you can search by domain name, which is crazy, and then you can <laughs> wow. scroll down, and then you can pick someone here, and then at the top, if I bring this out a bit, it will show you their password. Huh. <laughs> It'll show you their email, username, password, or if you want to get a little bit specific, just you can go floating out there in plain here. text. Just here you go. Exactly. Wow. Um, absolutely exactly it depends on the breach but if sure. you want to do like an, an another one uh such as uh, gmail uh, and it's, be, it's stuff like this that when users maybe every now and again they get that message from their bank that's like hey your card was compromised and you're like well how was it compromised and they're like well we can't really tell you where it was compromised at but just know it's been compromised and we're sending you a new one <laughs> there's like 14 yeah. billion of these out there that's insane or you start to look at the, the older ones like msn.com. This will take too long to, to come up. Oh, wow. um, or if you want to search your old employer, we can have a little bit of fun after the stream, after the stream where you can actually index the passwords of, of people. And there's APIs for these things. Um, there's a good one. IP address, address, name, password, and plain text. There's just out there and index for, for the world. And so see. anyone that's bored, once they have the basic email and password, it's just a matter of figuring out like, all right, which bank are they using? Because probably nine times out of ten, it's going to be the same login because nobody uses different oh. logins. Oh, my goodness. Exactly. That's crazy people I, I like what you called it uh security hygiene I've, I've never heard it called that before but I, that's a, that's a really apropos phrase to to describe what this is because some people are dirty man you got to get your security hygiene back up <laughs> exactly man and it, it, it's really interesting just just how these things are used but if, if you think about security of, of individuals and humans are really easy to hack it's just the their brains and, and that's why we bring it back again full circle to jack it's really important that we have a trustless system um <laughs> it, when you look at all, all kinds of things like this it, it's okay so we open one of these databases and we see this person's name address all these things and with that information you can pivot and you can go find their facebook right right and all you have to do is test their email at, at, at every single bank. And then you can, it'll say, okay, recover email sent. Yep. That essentially shows that you're a user at this bank. And then usually the question is like, what's the name of the first pet? Yeah. All you have to do is scroll back down in their Instagram. On <laughs> Facebook. Find, Look at that. Find their, <laughs> oh, fluffy second birthday. I miss you so much. <laughs> yeah. Or people that, that don't like strip out their metadata from the pictures that they upload. So like you're just on there and it's like, oh, this was taken at their house. Oh, look, there's the address. Like people and people don't think about that stuff unless, you know, you, you listen to these podcasts or you're like you guys are in the industry. Like people just don't know. Well, that's Absolutely. another thing, right? Like you're talking about photo metadata. When you upload a photo to Facebook, obviously Facebook strips out all that metadata and everything. And like me looking at your page, I can't view that stuff. But Facebook got your photo with all the metadata and they've just harvested it all for their own advertising purposes. And it's just little things like that, that you do that to Jackal. We don't know. We don't care. If you upload a photo with the metadata, 
like that's great and you might want to get rid of that in case you're planning on sharing it but we're not going to grab that metadata we're not going to do anything with it because we can't whereas these big tech companies are harvesting every little bit of data that you're giving them whether you even realize it or not and not even the tech companies like the the companies that control the pipelines like i'm sure there's taps in between those getting fed to i mean speaking of tinfoil hats shit like i'm sure there's that data is getting mirrored off into some farm where it's just like ai pours through it you know making connections and shit <laughs> Well, let's talk about Cambridge Analytica and then the, uh, what is it, the 2013, 2014 elections in the United States, Ugh. where they essentially were able to buy data directly from Facebook, run analytics to figure out whether a, a person would be labeled um, a Democrat or Republican. And then they, they found the people that were in the in the middle and they were able to make targeted ads at those people towards a certain side. <laughs> it's just that's so it, crazy. That's like the definition of psyops. Like we're going to go in and start making your society think how we need them to think. And there's nothing you can do about it because you love posting pictures of your pets. Well, that's oh my the goodness. thing. Like everybody uh, uses Google and yeah. then you go and you search something. And what's stopping Google from mining all of your data and then giving you the exact results that they want you to see to instead of the results that are applicable to you? Incognito cool. mode. That's the only thing stopping them. <laughs> they, they got a lawsuit. They got a lawsuit the other day for, for incognito mode where they were still tracking their users. Of course they are. There you go. Yeah. They gave you that mode. Do you think that they. <laughs> oh, was, dear. They had to pay. They had to pay a few billion dollars or something. It was one of the largest um, settlements ever. It, it's crazy. And just what, pocket what, change to them. Worth they it. Don't the care. cost they of doing mining your data. Yep. Cost of doing business. So let's uh, let's get back into the the whole idea of the DAO before we wrap this up. We're getting kind of towards the end of the hour here. But so you guys created this cool platform, basically, and then decided to turn it into a DAO to guide the, the direction of it. Or what, what uh, purpose does the DAO serve in this in this form? Absolutely. So just. We, we have very few core principles and we want them to be really simple. And number one is privacy. Number two, security. And number three is transparency. And um, from the provider's point of view, not for the user's point of view. Um, with that, we, we thought it was really important to implement a DAO. And it's not a DAO in the sense of an own fork or something like that. This is a DAO which would govern the direction that this project takes. Um, People can be corrupted and, and we don't know what kind of people will be in a few years. And, and that's it's a very human thing to say. So the what we do to to mitigate that is that um, we have a minority stake in the total supply of the token and p the governors will govern the direction of the application through proposals and essentially submit a proposal. If it gets voted, majority vote, then it gets implemented. Um, the other thing is, is that if we get to a point where um, we do something that the community doesn't like or they think is, is taking us off from our core principles, then the community has a right to fire us. We, we, wouldn't, we can't be the only people in the world that can't be fired. It's crazy. CEOs of massive companies get fired all the time. So we think it's really, really important that Jackal is driven by Jackal. And the community drives how the application develops and ensures that we maintain those three principles of privacy, security, and transparency. This is the do no evil Google wishes they could do none of. 
<laughs> yeah, I love well, it. Just, it's essentially how, if, if you look at our, our, well, our, our competitive advantages is, is end game. Uh, we would be going head to head against the, monopoly right now which would be facebook uh well it'll be google sorry amazon and microsoft which are the big three cloud storage providers the only way that we think that we can compete on a level with that is by having the competitive advantages being one we're way cheaper um it's like 90 percent cheaper per terabyte per month compared to them from instead of 22 dollars a month we're talking like below five dollars a month wow um the other thing, which is, which is really important, is that we're transparent, completely open source, and we're a place for developers to come build. And that's how we think we drive the growth of the platform and the amount of unique transaction is, is by providing value. And uh, while also developing this in an ethical way. Um, the other area where we're, we have another competitive advantage is, is privacy that's the biggest thing is we never have access to our users files ever uh, from the moment it's uploaded it's essentially just as secure as having your own ssd like a a, a physical ssd in the cloud well, um, that's, the moment, yeah you can continue my we didn't want to sell a service google drive is a service we right. want to sell a product we want you to own your data just like you own an ssd like it's all it, it feels like a local storage and you can shut it down, you can turn it off, you can do whatever you want, and it's yours. We don't want to be a service. That's just not where we want to take it. And, and we provide a product for people to build on top. It's a foundational layer to build applications. You want to build a social network that's privacy-focused and is ethical? Go for it. If you want to build a password manager, go for it. If you want to build a, like us, evidence chain of custody tools, like, and we can nerd out on that. That's uh, so cool. That's something that we want you to come build on. It, it's, we're here for the developers. We're an open source software, and, and that's what we build. Uh, we're, we, it, we are uh, still a private company, but that doesn't mean that we can't have conscious capitalism, guys. It, it, we can still build this in, in a way that it's open source, it's transparent, and it's ethical. Yeah, that's huge. I, I don't think there's, I can't think of any companies providing storage that are even beginning to think in those terms you know it's all dollar driven how much can we squeeze out of our customers basically and like that's what's so cool about DeFi. it's just changing that whole dynamic and like this is a perfect example of what you guys are building it's we're just building an infrastructure to we're, we're just builders and we go where we think we can help. And this is, uh, I think, a really pivotal moment in history where we need to build something like this to put the <laughs> put the power back to the people, right? And um, one of our employees had a really good quote yesterday. And um, he says, privacy en- enables dignity. Dignity en- empowers self-advocacy and self-advocacy strengthens communities. And we think that's essentially what we're really from, from the ground up. We're just giving the power back to the people so that you can um, essentially live a healthy life online. And that's where we're going. There's no stopping the advancement of technology, but we need to have the advancements and the human right of simple privacy to match the advancements that we're making in other areas. And it's a really important thing to us. So we think that um, we're just here for the people. 
That's huge. I, I fully agree with that. And the, the further this continues without getting these things built in place, like the harder it's going to be. We're going to be right back to Web 2 where nothing was built secure and we're doing all of our banking and, and private you know things on, on there and everyone's just watching. So I, I think that's really cool that you guys are building this. I, I'm super looking forward to it. Uh, you guys have an AMA space tomorrow happening. Uh, if you're listening to this on the 13th, uh, the AMA will be on the 14th at 10 a.m. Pacific time. So definitely catch that. And we'll be there for Terra Spaces recording it as well. So you can find that up in the ether. Uh, JackalDAO.com. I'm convinced I'm going to get these uh, these Gravidow bots to unload all of this data here so we can uh, we can sleep soundly knowing that it's uh, in good hands. Uh, do you guys have anything else you want to mention? Any plugs? We'll put the links to your Twitter, of course, and the website in the show notes. Uh, was there anything we didn't get a chance to, to mention that you guys wanted to? Yeah. Um, if, if anyone's listening wants to join the, um, the Incentivize Alpha, we're essentially come and uh, we're not naive that we're not building the perfect system. So come and break our system, essentially. And uh, if you write up a, a simple report of how you broke it and what we can do to fix it is we'll reward you with pre-launch tokens. That's what we're doing right now to try to really strengthen the the product. Um, other things is follow us on Twitter. Uh, keep an eye on the website. We have a wiki that's live. If you want to kind of go nerd out and deep dive on uh, infrastructure layers, uh, go for it. But uh, that's essentially it. That's really cool. I, I like the the whole chain of custody thing as well. There, there's lots of other industries that need a good chain of command or chain of custody uh protocols i I guess uh one that comes to mind is the cannabis industry tracking everything from seed to sale it's done in a real clunky way right now and half the time the the software that that these businesses have to use like when everybody logs in in the morning and is trying to do their dailies to get their routes and stuff started and like it's not working like they're not working their their day is done so like the faster we can get this stuff decentralized and and secure and and private i think the 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 better off we'll all be so thank you guys for for doing that work that's super awesome no worries just a little tidbit that you touch on enterprise adoption for things like that um i'll give you a little leak of this a pipe dream that we have is this kind of web 2.5 um franchise model essentially where um, we're not naive to hospitals won't work with a DeFi entity like us, but they would work with a white labeling service that if you have enough Jackal token, you stake it, you get enterprise bandwidth and you can sell the product uh, by abiding by your privacy laws in your given region while we maintain the integrity of the underlying system on our own. Wow, that's huge. Pursue so that's that, please. <laughs> we <laughs> that, need that's this. The idea. <laughs> Hell yeah, I love it. Find it. Over at jackaldow.com and of course, mark it on your calendars the 14th, if not sooner, but let's just say the 14th. Uh, and yeah, come experience some of these euphoric sensations of digital privacy. Ah, I love that so much. That's awesome. <laughs> Thanks for having us, Ben. Oh yeah, Danny Marston, thank you guys so much. Uh, we'll get these bots to offload this data and we will be on our way. Thank you everybody for listening. Make sure to check out the site, terraspaces.org. We'll have the links to all the Jackal Dow stuff there. And of course, catch the AMA tomorrow, like I said, 10 a.m. Pacific time. 
Uh, yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Finn. We'll talk to you later. Peace out, y'all. Watching these debates like what a bunch of noise when the illusion of choice outmaneuvers your voices. No one really knows what the fuck is going on here. Sitting in the bunker, waiting for the all clear. It's like we're getting steered towards the motherfucking iceberg. Captain all drunk deciphering where the ice lurks. And we thought 2020 was gonna be a nice year. Living with the plague like who brought the mice here? Try to think of it as another simulation. Game full of bugs, but it's still fun to play. It's like we're aliens, beta testing Earth. Digging in the dirt, trying to earn a little girth. The beast is silent when it defeats the riders. Living outside, trying to meet this virus. If you want to watch it all burn from the sky rise, delete the science and increase the righteous. Living like a jerk, return to feed the worms. Vibing like a tree, just breathing out the words. Be careful outside, them police is violent. Feeling like I finally earned some peace and quiet. piece of pie first trying to be the fat kid you least admire feast of fire when the beasts of burden are getting all bored but at least we're certain we found the imposter living among us fussing with hunches another big chungus bludgeon don't worry the fungus will clean up the guts and get us to function on fleeting assumptions i'll see through the rust from rush to rush shower stacked up like a bunch of junk so hush your muck before we stuff your luck and break your fucking neck to this like bust a bust Bleeding impulsive, the meeting controls it When breathing corrosive, no eating the bullshit Feeling the worth like it's gonna be a good year Now we're all tired, stop treading on the work here